Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Rutgers Scout Cast. We are here available for download or streaming every Friday and that is just a fact of life. I am your host Sam Hellman of Scarlet Report hoping to help you delete your commute to work, your whatever it is that I can do to help pass the time and talking about Rutgers to the fan base. That's what I like to do. And this week, you're going to hear me talk a lot. You're going to hear Scout National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan talk a lot. And you're going to hear Rutgers Offensive Coordinator Jerry Kill talk a lot. Jerry Kill is the subject of our interview this week. No, I did not sit down and ask him the big big three, but I did. Well, no, I didn't. Uh, I was speaking with Lester Herb at the time. Brian sat in on the media roundtable with Jerry Kill. And what better way to listen and hear about his vision for Rutgers, why he took the job, uh, how he handles bad questions, all the kinds of things you can enjoy listening to Jerry Kill, a, a longtime football mind that has successfully rebuilt in the Big Ten before. Before we get into the interview segment, which is Jerry Kill this week, a couple of things that are on my mind. The first thing on my mind is Rajon Gross. Familiar name? Well, he better be. Rajon Gross, for those that don't follow the Rutgers wrestling team, pulled off what was one of the most memorable moments that I've ever covered in my 10 years here, and that includes you know, storming the field over number two USF, the Jonathan Mitchell shot, um, Mike Grisario's return to the rack, Rutgers' first Big Ten game, Eric Legrand's return. I can go on and on, and this moment ranked right up there with all of them for me, and let me tell you why. I've known Rajon Gross since he was 15 years old. He was the anchor of a Don Bosco prep defensive line, of a, a captain, a leader of a Don Bosco prep team that literally included, I don't know, 25 BCS football players, multiple NFL guys. You're talking Darius Hamilton, Leonte Carew, Jabril Peppers, Chris Clark, Alquadim Muhammad, Elijah Shoemate, Yuri Wright, uh, Kevin Wilkins. I could go on and on and on. But Rajon Gross was the guy that they looked to for leadership. He was an elite high school wrestler that decided to give college football a shot. He, he walked on at Rutgers, played fullback, played defensive line. He was a good teammate, but he got involved in a very bad situation that ended up with him kicked off the team. Scott Goodale did his due diligence, gave him a second chance, and man, did that pay off Friday night. If you don't know what I mean, go to scarletreport.com. Check out Rajon Gross and what he was able to do in a big victory over a ranked Illinois team for Rutgers. It was a cool moment. I, I made the story free, so even if you don't subscribe, by now you can just go and watch it for free. Uh, it's you know it's kind of old at this point. It's seven days old by the time you're listening to this, but... It was one of those moments that's really special for me because I never saw him as a bad kid. I saw him as someone that got involved in a bad situation and the worst kind of came of it. I'm happy that he got another chance. And I'll tell you what, 
Rutgers continues tonight against Penn State, and it only gets tougher from there, but I like the fight from this Rutgers wrestling team that really should not be doing as well as it is with some of the adversity and the scheduling and the injuries that they've gone through. But that's enough wrestling talk. You're either a wrestling fan or you're not. But what I will say is if you're not a wrestling fan, I would at least watch what Rajon Gross has done because it was one of those special moments. Finally, before we continue with the show and, and close out this open, I guess I'll use this forum. No, not, not that kind of forum. This audio medium here to announce that Garrett Stepien will be returning to the Scarlet Report staff starting this weekend. By the time you're listening to this, I may already be yelling at him uh, to get on the phones and get to work. Garrett interned with us in the fall. He will do so in the spring before he graduates from Rutgers this summer or this spring. I don't know. However, whatever you consider May to be. So uh, happy to announce that Garrett will be back. We'll get him back on the podcast soon. I've actually gotten some messages and tweets from folks that they want to hear from him more. They liked the first, I guess, two times that he came on the show. So doing these during the build-up to signing day is very stressful, very time-consuming. I'm recording this open after the Rutgers-Northwestern game, which, as you know, went pretty late into the night as it is. I want to make sure that this gets up for you all to listen to Friday on your way to work. So while these may not have the same in-depth interviews every week or Brian might not be here every week, I'm doing my best to make sure that you get one of these every week. And then once signing day goes, that's when we can start to get creative, have fun, and go into year two of the podcast. So here's Jerry Kill. After Jerry Kill, Brian Doan and I are going to discuss the news of the week, including Jerry Kill, for about 15 minutes. And then instead of a mailbag this week, I have a unique way to close the show. Here's Jerry Kill. Well, you know, it's it's being being a head coach before I've gone into all that same situation where we've had five different coordinators yeah. and all that. I, I think in our situation here is that uh, knowing uh, AJ Blazik and some of the guys that are on offense already mm-hmm. is I think that uh, I think it'll be a combination is if we can keep some stuff and let me learn, you know, some of the terminology that they're using, and then add to that. I think it's going to be a little bit of both, but you know you want to keep it as simple for the players as you possibly can because you don't want them thinking all the time. But uh, they're still going to have to learn some things. There's no question about that. If I could just follow up on that, just how big of a challenge do you think it's going to be to kind of you know install a new offense for the veteran guys? Well, I, I think it, I think we got you know we think about the quarterback and and uh, things of that nature, and um, you know I, I think you know I think we'll be okay. Uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe simplify some things. And to me, sometimes you can get all kinds of stuff that you're doing, but the real good offensive teams right now are getting good at what they do and getting a lot of repetition at it. And, you know, that, that's what we're going to do. I believe in repetition and where kids aren't thinking and, and uh, mismatches, you know, try to get mismatches uh, on people and being able to get in the right play. You know, I don't believe in running a play into something that ain't going to be successful, and so uh, quarterbacks going to have to be responsible. And then we got to do, you know, we got to coach now. We got to, you know, we we've got to get them in the right play. There's ways to do that too. So, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I've watched uh, 
been in this week. I didn't go to the convention and, and uh, watch our games from a year ago and got a chance to look at personnel. And, you know, of course, we're recruiting right now and things of that nature. And uh, so right now we've got to build with what we have. And uh, But I think we got a pretty good idea. And I visited with Chris before I took the job of what we needed to do. You watched the game. What, what stuck out? Well, I think we got some, you know, uh, from an offensive standpoint, I think we got some offensive linemen, got some young tackles that are going to be really good players. I just think it's a young football team, a very young football team. And uh, I think the biggest thing I've known since I've been here is I think Chris is – I've taken over programs for years. And I think he's done a great job of building the foundation, cleaning things up, getting it the way he wants to. Uh, every program I ever took over started off about the same way, two wins, maybe three, and then you try to build from that. Uh, I think it's the same thing with the players is that, you know, we, we I'm just using the two big tackles as an example, but, you know, we got to take them to the next step and, you know, and continue to, to develop players. And uh, we've everywhere I've been, we've had to develop them. And uh, I think we got to do a good job coaching. You'll never hear me get on a player. Our job is coach them, teach them. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think there's some there's some pieces there that we can build on, and then there's some pieces we got to find, you know, through recruiting. So I think it's a little bit of both. What did you see out of the quarterback when you watched it? Busting several. Back. Well, the kid who's back, Gio. So, you know, I – he did, uh, you know, I watched him against Minnesota, and, and uh, he played very well. You know, I think the, the big thing is for me from a standpoint is, again, I've got to try to make him make him better, and I thought he'd run okay. Uh, you know, he's uh, got good size. I think, again, simplifying some things for him in, in the past progression. Uh, um, we, we can't turn over the football. I just got an offensive meeting. That's a, that's a, that's a sin with me. I mean, if, if we don't turn over football and we don't have a bunch of minus yards, that's going to solve a lot of issues right there. And we, we had some of that. So uh, we got to do a better job of, of uh, protecting the ball. We got to do a better job of making sure he knows the progressions that he has and continue to work on his technique. I like his release. He's got a quick release. Uh, but again, you know, I just think we need to simplify the game and, and some things for him to help him. And, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, certainly, you know, I think there's an opportunity there for him to be a good football player. We just got to get him better. Will you talk about what do you mean by simplifying the game for him? Is it too much information? Is it too much that he has to read pre snap yeah, after the snap? What, what do you, what do you I mean? think pre, again, I think as a coach, and, and you, know, you know, I know the coach that was here is a very good coach. I never, but everybody's different. But I think from a pre snap read, there's things that we can help him in, you know. Uh, you know, we can do things from the line of scrimmage and, and from the coaches to get to him to help him, you know, with what he's doing and help him where to go and what to do. And I think that's on us with with uh, the communication and you know doing some you know some huddle things uh, and uh, again getting us in the right call. Have you talked to Heath? As far as we know, he's still considering whether to go to the NFL draft or come back. Have you talked? Have you had a chance to reach out to him at all? And what kind of difference would he make if he comes back? Oh, I, there's no question. We need a guy like that. I mean, we we need playmakers. You know, that's the first thing. You know, you look on. We need playmakers, guys that can run. And and uh, you know, you watch Clemson, and you know, uh, 
the quarterback's pretty good, but I can throw six foot three, two hundred ten, and you know, you know what I mean. We we need those type of guys, and uh, we can't afford to lose any playmakers right now. So did you have a chance to reach out to? No, him? I don't, you know I've tried, but I I want I want to meet with him personal. I mean sometimes text messages and phone calls. I'm a personal guy. I want to uh, you know I'm old school. You know I want to develop a relationship with him and and. Uh, uh, to me, you do things face to face on those kinds of things. So I guess that goes for all the players. Probably oh, yeah. wait, wait until they come in. Yeah, you know, them. I've talked to the quarterbacks, okay. talked to them, and let them know that uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of where we're going to be and what we're going to do. But uh, you know, it's been really it's been a lot of time recruiting. You know, so catching up with that. How, how, how about like that Twitter and recruiting? Uh, man, I'm old <laughs> school, man. You know, we, we'll do the. You know, I, I can like text a year and a half. Yeah, I can. I like. I like texting better than having call me or that kind of thing. But hey, you got to do what you got to do. I got to keep up, you know. <laughs> so I'm sure I'll have this great Twitter account and and uh, all those good things. Was that so, you who set one up yesterday? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've got shoot. I've got that account, and then I'm doing something in, for the Super Bowl deal with the uh, Epilepsy Foundation here. Uh, with the Super Bowl, and so that's got a count. I got, yeah, I got, I got more stuff than I need to have account-wise. I can tell you that. <laughs> you sign up for that Instagram account. Let everyone know. I will. I'll make sure I tell you that. Jerry, how about that? Because you talked about how being an assistant coach would maybe be a little less of a overall workload uh-huh. than being a head uh-huh. coach, but the recruiting, the grind of recruiting. How about that? With as you ease back into the job. Yeah, you know, the. I think the thing is that uh, where I'm at now and, and so forth, and you know, I think that I can be a big help to Chris because I've been a head coach and uh, for a lot of years. But I think the difference is one, I, I'm a totally different person than I was a year and a half ago, uh, due to a lot of reasons. I had time to go get things taken care of. Uh, I've been working with Coach Snyder, who's a great man, loving to death. But even though I didn't have to, I was going up helping them. And so I was working 12 hours a day. As far as recruiting recruiting goes is that, you know, I've always enjoyed recruiting and those kind of things. And, you know, you got to bust your tail in with that. But, you know, I don't have the things that are tough as a head coach is all the other things that you have to do besides that. You know, there's so many things a head coach that not even – you all probably go, I didn't know that. Or, I mean, there's you get spread out. And the places I've been, when you build programs, you're speaking, you're raising money, you're doing all these other things, plus recruiting. And that can be overwhelming where, I, you know, I'm, instead of being here as a head coach and, you know, some player did this and all that, from there, you know, I can get it condensed into here. And so that that's what I'm excited, I'm excited about. Personally, with your resume, you must have had a lot of interest. In you want? Did you? Do you think people ter- turned away from you because of the epilepsy? Do you think people looked at that and said, "As far as now, what?" Yeah, do you, th- you think other people looked at your your illness and said, this, "Well, we can't this hire." Year? Yeah, this time around, it was. No, I had all kinds of things going on, right. so I was surprised to be honest with you. You know, I could have stayed at K State. Uh, I don't want to mention. There's another school in the stuff. Well, most people know. I talked to Connecticut, right, right, and. Uh, you know, and uh, my old AD, and I guess both assistant ADs were there, so I had an opportunity to go there, here, 
Uh, last year I had a chance to go to Ole Miss, Arkansas. So, you know what, I, I'm, I'm surprised. But I think most people know that, uh, you know, my situation, what I've done, and uh, I'm hoping they feel like that I'm a good enough ball coach to take a chance on. I know coaches don't like to put labels on it, but uh, would you say that consider your offense a spread, or I mean, how do you characterize your offense? Well, I think we're. I think what we'll, you know, what will be here, and I've been in a lot of different things, is we'll be across from, you know, when we were in Northern Illinois with Jordan Lynch, um, and uh, I think we'll have some K State in it, and uh, and then uh, you know. Uh, a little bit of Clemson, so I, I, I would tell you that I would say that uh, it will be multiple, but it will be, you know, mostly spreading the field, whether it's, uh, um, you know, whatever situation that may be in. But you know, we're not going to be two tight ends and flanker, and you know, we're, we we can't do that. We'll do what our offensive line can do, and so uh, I guess you'd say we'd be more spread. Given that, how important is it to have a dual threat uh, quarterback? I think it's important, you know, no question. I mean, I, I think anybody nowadays can get a quarterback and throw it and run it. I mean, that's an extra man. If you're quarterback and run, that's one that can't account for on defense. So I think that's uh, something that you can have. Although, if you have a guy that can fly throw the football and he can and he can wing it out there and, and what we'll do, we can do that too. And, and, and it's mobile and he can throw it 40 times a game and he's good, Let, let's roll. You know, so I, I'm not opposed to either one. Coach, you mentioned the tight ends. Is that something you see as being a part of this offense, or maybe waning out, going five wide? What's kind of your? I think on? I think there'll be a mo- you know multiple things. You know, I think you need a tight end in your offense. There's no question about that. Every spread team does. You know, uh, but I you know I think we I think we got to be multiple. You know, when it comes to formations, you never want to set the same thing. You know, you look at the you know, the Patriots and what they do, they got 10 or 11, 12 different personnel groupings and things like that. And if they get rolling in one, they stay in it, you know. But I think you have to give, you know, you never want to give people the same, you know, you want to keep them off balance. Those defenses work too, so. What's a reasonable um, expectation as far as improvement goes? Because, you know, whether it was scoring offense, you know, total yards, Rutgers ranked last nationally. What's a reasonable expectation as far as improvement goes in year one? Well, I, you know, I, I think we get better every day. I mean, to sit there and say, hey, we're going to score this many points, and I'm not quite like P.J. Fleck and he's going to take <laughs> Minnesota the Rose Bowl and win the national championship, is that I'm a little bit more of let's, you know, we have goals every day and let's get better. And uh, I've said that everywhere I, I've been. And, and as you get better, you win more games. But... Uh, you know, uh, take one day at a time, get better, and uh, you know, do I think we have a chance to be a better team than we were a year ago? In year two, yeah, that's usually what you do. You keep building upon that progress. How many wins that is, you know, I tell you. But uh, injuries, all that stuff affects all that stuff, and you know, we need depth. We don't have depth yet, uh, so it's pretty much to be honest with you. This is like taking the Minnesota job over, and and. Uh, the Northern Illinois job over, you know, so, uh, but probably more like Minnesota. Well, folks, you just heard from Jerry Kill, as we also enjoyed hearing from Jerry Kill earlier in the week. Uh, Joined now by 
someone that hasn't covered quite as many Rutgers offensive coordinators as I have, but you've seen the same changes year after year after year. It's defense against the dark arts all over again. Is the ninth time to try, Brian? Very good. Very good reference. Um, who knows? You look at it and you say, it makes sense for Jerry Kill to spend multiple years at Rutgers. You don't think the offense is going to be great next year. You just hope for it to be better than it was as they put in more talent. But who knows? You don't go into this thinking, well, I can't wait to be there for one year and move on. That's not what they want out of this thing. They, they want somebody that's going to be there multiple years. Uh, if you're at Rutgers and you have a great year, other schools will come looking at you. It's too many variables to sit here and, and talk about whether he's going to be here multi-year. It's more about what he said and what experience he brings. And a couple of things stood out to me. And it's Sam, you and I have hammered it home. I flat, flat out asked him what he saw when he watched the team offensively. And the only two positives he brought up were the two offensive tackles. And then I flat out asked him again, what did he see from the skill positions? And he went right away to needing more speed and more length and guys that can stretch the field, which should come as zero surprise. That's what you're dealing with when you're trying to run this offense right now, and that's why it's imperative for them to get guys like Bo Melton into the mix just for his playmaking ability and Duat Mitchell and Amir Mitchell because they're better than what they have. Um, but for me, if you didn't believe it or you were still weren't sure about it, just listen to what Jerry Kill said when he was asked point blank about a couple things. Yeah, I, I think that there was a lot of good in listening to what Jerry Kill had to say in his group setting. I know you had to suffer through some pointless, off-topic, weird questions because that's kind of what happens when you get into media circles with someone, but I thought he, he Jerry Kill did a good job of staying on topic. He brought humor to it He's been doing this for a while, so when he's able to joke about what P.J. Fleck is promising at Minnesota or when he's able to joke and say, yeah, my goal this year is to not get fired. Oh, that was a joke. <laughs> I, I appreciate that because I didn't think that uh, I didn't think that Drew Maringer used humor in the right ways. I think he kind of just made it uncomfortable with his attempts at humor, whereas Jerry Kill actually came off as a guy that was just kind of laid back talking football. Yeah, but I mean, you're talking about a guy who's 28, 29 to a guy who, you know, has been in coaching for three decades kind of deal. So a little more experience. Sort of like everybody understands my humor and appreciates it, but with you, they don't get it all the time. Brian Lester Erb is the other person with which we met. You'll hear from Lester in depth next week on the Rutgers Scoutcast, but if you want to hear his initial interviews, see him, you know, hear about his experiences, you can always do that as a member of Scarlet Report, where we put up that stuff right after it went down in our Wednesday meetings. What stood out about Lester Herb is just the same things that we've been saying for a week and a half now. It's an upgrade at the running back position. He doesn't know enough about the Rutgers personnel. He doesn't know enough about who's on the Rutgers recruiting board right now because, heck, he just got here, I believe, Wednesday or Monday night. He's moving four kids and a wife out here from Nevada. But the big picture stuff, I, I think it's a good hire, and I like that you're bringing in a guy that already knows people on staff like A.J. Blazek. Yeah, I was able to chat with him for a little bit too, and just to refresh everybody's memory, you're, you're thinking, oh, Nevada, what kind of ties does he have? Well, he's from 
Pennsylvania. He played at Bucknell. His wife's from New York. First time that they're going to be living in the time zone with their other members of their family. And I think he said 17 years, he told me. So he does have familiarity with what the East Coast is like. He has a lot of connections. When he was at Nevada, they recruited Texas, you know, especially the Dallas area, recruited Chicago. And knowing what the running back situation is in the East, but he will bring some other guys to the table on different connections, you're still going to make your living in New Jersey, Eastern PA, maybe Delaware, New York. That's where you're going to make your living recruiting if you're Rutgers. But it is nice to have some contacts across the country where you can cherry pick a kid every now and again. They did with Brendan Bordner, you know, out of Ohio. This helps a lot, and I expect some new names to surface on the running back board as he really gets involved in it. But overall, he's a guy that's been around the game for a while. He brings a, a amount of professionalism to it. He understands recruiting, and those not, are nice, nice changes. Yeah, they are, and it's not. You know, he's not looking to find a place to live right now. He's going to do that after signing day because he knows he's not going to be home anyway. Yeah, and let's not pretend that he's coming in here to work with a cabinet that's just stacked with, you know, Big Ten caliber running backs. I, I listen all the time to people talk about how they have these Big Ten caliber running backs, and it's like, do you not watch the Big Ten? Do, do you not see what Big Ten caliber running backs are? Exactly. That's my point is, yeah, he's got some guys that have experience or that have played at Rutgers and have played you know, put up good numbers, but that doesn't mean that he's coming into a stack group. He's going to be, and Jerry Kill helping him, they're going to be rebooting this running back position, and that starts when, by the time you're listening to this, Lester Herb's already on the road looking for guys. You mentioned Jonathan Lovett, but if he's options one through three, you better find four through six pretty fast. You better, and, you know, they'll do their due diligence down in Alabama looking at a couple kids down there. Can you just get one from out of the region and then maybe you find somebody else? I think they would like two running backs. If they can only take one, that's fine. Uh, just be interesting, you know, do they use a little more H back with Jerry Kill? Do they go get a fullback? You know, there's some interesting questions that are going to have some answers Maybe they won't say it, but you'll know it in recruiting with what they want to do offensively a little bit, maybe some tweaks from what they had before. You try to finish 17 strong, and this is also about making some headway with some 18s when you're out on the road now. So hot in the news this week, the proposed early December signing period, no June signing period, which... I think just about everyone is against except the NCAA. Brian, what do you take from the latest signing period noise and discussion that came out of these early week meetings during the dead period? It makes sense. It, to me, having one in December, which is when the JUCO signing period is, it's when you can sign your scholarship papers, which we all know is bogus as far as binding kids to schools, but you still do it. Um, binds the school to kids and that's it. For me... I look at it and say, yes, this will help out some of the smaller programs, especially the group of five schools or whatever the heck they're called, because we'll give you an example. Right now, Raheem Blackshear, the Temple commit who is visiting Michigan State, visiting Rutgers, maybe he doesn't make those visits if you can sign in the middle of December. So 
it helps out programs like that. It, it helps out, you know, if schools are coming hard after, you know, whether it's Bryce Watts or Olakunle uh, Pudikazi, whether it's, you know, John Lovett who's still trying to figure things out. If you can sign in the middle of December, maybe it helps things out a little bit more in terms of keeping classes together. Um, I think as you go up the food chain and you look at Ohio State and Alabama, yeah, they may be able to lock in, you know, maybe Alabama, maybe Alabama can lock in Najee Harris, the number one player in the country now, but I think those schools are going to get who they're going to get anyway. So I think the further down the food chain you go, the more it helps out that program. Yeah, we're June signing period, that's just, I think, bad for everyone. I think a December signing period not only does it reward some of those smaller schools that have put in the work to find a kid that then they're able to hold on to, but it, it lets it, it does let a school like Rutgers sign Bo Melton in December and sign Jonathan Lewis in December and say, look, I know they're committed, but now they're bound to us, and you can bring that to whatever late running backs you're trying to bring in and say, look, we've got this quarterback signed. And it also it helps take pressure off kids. You know, lots of kids are worried about getting dropped this time of year. And we've seen that with decommitments. We've seen that with kids flipping to schools that don't make sense because they're getting dropped, and this is a way for them to secure their space before a school can drop a kid. Yeah, I know the NCAA talked about doing it in June, but it's such a drastic change to do it in June. You would then have to have spring official visits. You would have to have spring contact periods, and you don't have contact periods. And I understand it would probably slow recruiting down, to be honest, because if a kid can sign in June, maybe he doesn't sign in. You know, maybe that school doesn't want to sign him right then because they plan on dropping him later on, or if they can recruit over him. So it could slow it down. It could also, you know, you could also force somebody's hand a little bit too, and saying, "Hey, look." We want you now. Take it. That's kind of tough too because you don't get to see what goes on through the whole season and some coaching changes, so that makes it difficult. But yeah, I think December feels right. It just feels right. I, I like it. It's not, you know, if you talk about June, that's when you start to get into basketball recruiting territory, and basketball is just so, you know, Ridiculous. clean, clean, well run, very smart, makes complete sense. That of course that no, you don't want to sign kids in June because guess what. 40% of schools fire their coaches these days. You know, you're going to be signing all sorts of kids that are going to have to go through recruiting again anyway after their coach gets fired. So why why do that to benefit, uh, you know, a couple schools that are worried about having their kids flip or losing them? You know, part of your job as a coach is to keep that relationship until February. So why why let coaches get lazy and sign a kid and then just forget about them? Yeah, I think if you're going to do anything early like that, you do it at the end of July. Everybody gets through their camps. Kids are getting ready for their senior season, which is when they want to make decisions anyway. Uh, but I think you have to see what happens in December. Watch how the programs adjust to it and then try to manipulate that system before you can make it earlier. But de December just feels right. Rutgers basketball still, you know, trying to find its place in the well, they, they know their place. Okay, trying to change their place in the Big Ten right now. 
And, yeah, there's a couple newsworthy things to discuss. Mike Williams named the team captain. Rutgers adds point guard Souf Mensa to the recruiting class, a Juco kid originally from France. Rutgers basketball gets oui. more, <laughs> we indeed, more international by the day. I think that by this time, uh, by this time in 2018, Rutgers is going to have, you know, maybe two Americans on the roster. Um, it's a diverse campus. It is, it is. But you know what? Some of these guys that have come over have come in and outworked the Americans. So, you know, find, find the kids that fit. It doesn't matter what language they speak because if you read the Rutgers game notes uh, by our friend Kevin Lorenz, it's a lot of languages. Well, you know, it's like I always said in football when people complained about the uniforms. Look, you can wear pink tutus and ballet shoes. If you go out and you play well, who cares? Look at, look at what Oregon wore in football for so many years, and people thought it was all this great swag because they were winning. Now they wear uniforms like that. Oregon's no good, and people are thinking, oh, that's tacky. If you can play, you can play. When you look at bringing in a point guard, a Juco point guard, you expect them to come in and get a lot of minutes right away, and it's something that will help this offense. I, I like what Corey Sanders has done in some regards as a point guard. I don't know if he's a... I mean, I, I don't think he's a, poor, a pure point. He's, he's not, but he has but, no choice. So I think it helps him. I think it also helps the coaching staff say to Corey Sanders after the year, thanks for evolving your game in this way. Next year we're going to have you in a different role where you can score more and really attack the basket and really use your athleticism, um, get more consistent with the jumper. I, I think it's just another piece. And I think it's smart because they were able to see – in person when you're coaching the game what this team needs and it needs a lot and it needs a point guard and you know Sam it would help if they had somebody who could make a few shots from the outside that is not going to be Suf Mensa but that's why you signed Gio Baker he's your sharpshooter you'd think that better sign more than one but well, yes the, ideally Issa Chom develops you know he's clearly not where he needs to be right now but you're talking about a kid that's actually a real freshman, not a you know 27-year-old freshman like Kenneth Kirksey on the football team. So maybe he'll develop because he, trust me, that kid can shoot the lights out, but he clearly can't do it yet in games. Yeah, I mean, when you watch him play and when you saw him play the non-conference schedule and they were able to use you know Freeman and Gettys inside yeah. more, you understood when the Big Ten came around, there could be some struggles. Gettys really gets exposed in the Big Ten. Not against good Big Ten, you know, average or below average Big Ten team. He really gets exposed for a lack of foot speed and lack of ability to move his feet to defend close to the basket. And instead, it's like a matador where the guy gets past him and he just rolls with him and will either hit him with his hip and create a foul or just let the guy through. And we knew this going in, and you and I spoke about it, and you reminded me the other day, yes, that's who he is as a player. But as you watch it in Big Ten games, you really see the limitations of what they have inside, and, and it makes you realize they need to shoot the ball better, and they just need somebody who can play. They need a big guy who can play interior post-defense. Right, and, may, I mean, Rutgers on paper right now is full for next year, but you can develop guys you'd think Shaq Dorson will eventually take that next step maybe Ibrahim Ajala will f figure out how to not foul every possession uh what, what I like and look I I sit through a lot more press conferences in my life than I would like to but three 
Yeah, I'm good on press con. I could never go to another one and I'd be happy, especially with some of the kinds of questions that you hear asked. But the the way that opposing at coach, least you get no Greg Schiano questions at basketball press conferences still. Yeah, I uh, the way that the way that opposing coaches talk about Rutgers is totally different. Co- look, look, coaches are always going to say nice things about the opponent that they just beat. That's that's how it works because you want teams that you're beating, to, you want them to stay so you can keep beating them. But the nice things that people used to say about Eddie Jordan were, look, Eddie Jordan was a great player. He's a high-character person. He, he's got a tough challenge at Rutgers. It was never, he's doing a good job, look at how they're developing. But now, I know our members saw this. Tom Izzo, literally out of nowhere, goes on like a five-minute diatribe about how great Steve Peichel is. Unprovoked, had nothing to do with Rutgers. They don't play Rutgers again this year until Rutgers plays them in the Big Ten Finals in the tournament in Washington, D.C. What sport is that? Exactly. They... He had no need to bring it up, but someone asked him, one of their medias, one of the local media out there in Lansing asked him, what do you think about the coaching in the league right now? And what does he think? He thinks Steve Peichel is doing a great job, talks about the development, how these kids that were horrible last year are playing hard. That kind of stuff stands out to me, and it's the first time since maybe Mike Rice got a little bit of it where you have opposing coaches actually complimenting Rutgers for coaching reasons. Yeah, and you can see it. They play you hard. You can see it if you pay attention. A lot of people are not paying attention. It's funny. I don't hear anybody, though, or I don't see anybody on the board complaining about Steve Peichel needs to coach his kids better to shoot because they don't make shots. It's accepted that they're not good enough. But yet in football, when a guy can't get open or can't complete a pass or can't run through a hole, it's the coach's fault. It takes talent. But what you see in both instances, and especially in basketball, when you watch it, the guys are in position to make plays. They're in position to make an open jumper. Now, I was a little disappointed with how they ran their zone offense against Iowa, but part of the reason is they don't have anybody that can shoot from the outside, and when you get the ball to the high post and you can't kick it, you know, you're not kicking it outside to an open guy, well, that takes some work. The key is the next time they play a zone, is it better? Which I would think it would be knowing them. But, yeah, you look at it and they play hard, they rebound hard, they do what they're being asked to do. But at the end of the day, sometimes you're just not good enough. So it takes talent to win. It's not just coaching. And that's for any sport. And But, yeah, you look at it. This is what I said all along. Uh, yeah, you're going to lose, but... Can you at least show that you're trying to get better and you're working hard and you're playing with pride? And they do. Yeah, and for full disclosure, recorded before the Northwestern game that you guys watched last night, so as we're discussing this, we don't know what happened, but yeah, I'm it's willing, more, yeah. willing to bet they did better against the zone uh, based on what I saw in practice this week. Yeah, and it's just this is more about an overview anyway on where they are, whether you beat Northwestern, lose to Northwestern, tie them. I would love that. We're already there until midnight. Might as well tie. That would be awesome. Knowing that you're there, this game starts after your bedtime makes me happy. A three-overtime game would just be awesome. If it got to that third-overtime game, I'd have to call you. Yeah, I wouldn't answer. Thank you, Brian, for joining me on... 
Short notice this week, busy for both of us with the live period underway. As you know, everything from coaches on the road to new recruits getting offered, the underclassmen setting up junior days, really busy weekend coming up here. And while Rutgers won't host official visitors, there's plenty going on in recruiting and there's plenty of Rutgers targets visiting elsewhere that we'll be tracking down. All that coverage you can find on scarletreport.com. As always, I will remind you that it is the best place to get Rutgers news and the best way to interact with the Rutgers community. Now, if you're not a member and you want to get involved, go ahead and shoot me a message, shoot me an email, mention this podcast, and I can hook you up with an extended free trial. If you already are involved, first off, thank you. Building up to signing day, I know that it's not all the excitement you'd want with things like Jonathan Lovett going on, but there is a lot of good Rutgers news, everything from us being at the wrestling match to covering as much Rutgers, covering more Rutgers basketball than anybody else being there every day for the football grind. We're there for you, and we always will be. Uh, if Again, if you're not a member, I would recommend, uh, you know what, stay tuned to my Twitter for the next couple weekends, and maybe something special will be blowing in. If you're still here, you are my best listeners of the Rutgers Scoutcast, and that means I will ask you to go ahead and maybe post this link on your Facebook, your Twitter, tell your friend that likes Rutgers, We want to grow the show. I want it to keep growing and keep going. And the best way to do that is by your word of mouth. Uh, Please rate in iTunes. It's very simple. If you don't know how to do it, go ahead and ask me and I'll be happy to walk you through it. It means a lot and it only takes 32 seconds of your day. Instead of a QA and a this week, you guys, honestly, this one's on you. Y'all were slacking with the questions a little bit this week. So instead, I want to close this show with a piece of audio that was sent to me by my friend Hondo Carpenter at Spartan Nation. If you are a Scarlet Report subscriber or you listened to six minutes ago on this podcast, we talked about Tom Izzo and his totally off-the-cuff Rutgers basketball promo, I guess we'll call it. Well, I'm going to go ahead and play the meat of that for you. So in closing the show, here is Hall of Fame Michigan State basketball coach Tom Izzo on Steve Peichel. Oh, and thanks for listening. Yeah, we have have great coaches in the league right now, and I think they kept upgrading the coaches in this league. And uh, I I, I have said that before. The guy at, at Rutgers, he's done a hell of a job there. Um, he's getting guys to do things that didn't do it at all that way last year. I mean, there are so many less bad shots and things that are going on. And um, I mean, I think they're getting better every day. I mean, he's a proven good coach, and he he is going to be a good coach in this league. And they're not young, but they got a lot of sophomores and juniors. And uh, by next year, that'll be a very good basketball team. And I think still this year. I promise you, they're going to beat some decent teams. Um, they did that on the road yesterday, so uh, that's a pretty good basketball team.